0: We've just published the book, The Adventures of Lola Badiola. It's the perfect complement for this podcast. It includes complete transcripts, explanations, and quizzes. So buy it now on Amazon. Hello and welcome back to The Adventures of Lola Badiola. In the last episode, Park travelled along Dead Man's Highway to the Rendezvous Point. In this episode... We're going to find out if he was able to cross the border to China. Strap yourselves into your seats, because this ride is about to get bumpy. Here we
1: go. The Adventures of Lola Badiola, Chapter 45, The Crossing No one can imagine what it's like to spend six hours trapped in a cold, dark container, surrounded on all sides by dead bodies. No one can predict what an experience like that might do to a person's sanity. And so, when the old grey man and his grandson opened the doors to their refrigerated truck, they had no idea in what state of mind they would find their passenger. Park stepped out and rubbed his eyes. Are you okay? Park looked around at the environment in which he found himself then he focused on the boy and his grandfather I'm fine the old man nodded his head in approval this defector had character and his chances of completing the journey were good head straight to the river and await the signal the old man patted Park on the back and then got back into the cab don't forget to send us a postcard he said in a deadpan voice as he accelerated away to his business rendezvous with the Chinese. Park's legs were like jelly. He tripped over a couple of times as he headed to the banks of the river. Then he sat down and waited for the signal to cross, whatever that might be. In the darkness of that cold winter night, he noticed something ominous about the ice and snow that covered the water. It was moving. It had been a mild winter by North Korean standards, and therefore the river wasn't frozen solid. This was going to be a more difficult and dangerous crossing than he had imagined. As the minutes, and then hours, passed, Park started to feel sleepy. He kept his eyes firmly fixed on the other side of the river bank, but every time he blinked his eyelids felt heavier. There was no sign of the secret police, no puffs of cigarette smoke, no noises in the distance, so he started to relax. He watched a bat swoop up and down the river in front of him, chasing insects for its dinner. It was a hypnotic sight. Slowly but surely, his mind wandered from the conscious to subconscious. The last thing he remembered before he fell into a deep sleep was the sound of the bat's wings as it fluttered past his forehead. Park was awoken by the lights of a torch shining in his eyes. Kim Dae Park grunted. "'Do you speak English?' "'Park was utterly disorientated. "'He hadn't slept for more than a couple of hours in the previous three days. "'His whole body was stiff, "'from sitting in a stress position for six hours in the refrigerated truck. "'A huge hand grabbed his stick-thin arm and lifted him to his feet. "'He found himself standing next to a giant. "'Look at me!' "'Park looked up and into the eyes of the stranger. "'He had never seen a westerner in the flesh,' "'Nor smelt one. "'He was equally as fascinated "'as he was fearful of this foreign creature. "'I am here to take you across the border. "'Do you understand?' "'Park nodded. "'The westerner put a harness around Park's waist "'and attached it to the back of his own belt with a rope "'so that the two of them were physically inseparable. "'Follow me. "'Put your feet exactly where I put mine.' "'The westerner took two steps towards the river,' pulling Park's flimsy body along with him. Park stumbled into the back of his new companion as if he were a drunkard walking into the Great Wall of China. It became immediately obvious to both of them that this way of getting across the river wasn't going to work. The giant knelt down and motioned for Park to jump onto his back. Park followed the instruction and, like a little boy on the back of his father, was raised to a height that felt both frightening and exhilarating. The westerner stood at the river's edge and plotted a path across the slow-moving ice. If either of them fell into the water at this time of year, they would perish from hypothermia within the hour. The giant was about to take his first step when he was hit hard by something from the side. Both he and Park fell to the ground, still attached by the rope and harness. Park quickly recovered his senses, and from the floor of the embankment he could see the boots of two soldiers standing either side of them. They were not the boots of the secret police, who had proved easy to evade over the last 56 hours. They were the boots of the Special Operations Forces, North Korea's finest and bravest soldiers. The two agents must have tracked every step that Park had taken up until this point. One of the boots lifted in the air and moved in the direction of Park's head. The little programmer moved out of the way just in time to avoid his skull being cracked open. He felt himself being pulled to his feet by the harness as his giant companion stood up to face the enemy. The two soldiers attacked the westerner from both sides. They didn't use guns or knives. They wanted to overwhelm him. He was worth much more to them alive than dead. There was no doubt in Park's mind that the giant would have been able to withstand the onslaught if he had been free from the harness. But as it was, Park acted as a dead weight, preventing the westerner from properly defending himself. For two minutes Park was thrown around like a rag doll as the three men fought each other, until eventually the two tough Koreans had their man pinned to the ground. One of them was lying face down on top of his chest, the other had his arm around the giant's throat in a stranglehold. Slowly they were squeezing the oxygen out of his system until he was on the brink of fainting. Park watched in horror. He assumed that, as soon as they had the Westerner under control, they would eliminate him from the question. It was the agent that they wanted, not him. A survival instinct was triggered in the primordial part of Park's brain. He reached inside the pocket of his Russian army jacket. He felt the cold, sharp steel of the kimchi knife that he had grabbed before heading out on his date with the girl with the almond eyes. He drew the knife from his pocket and raised it above the neck of the soldier who was holding down the agent's chest, taking careful aim at the thick, tanned throat of his enemy. The agent, his eyes bulging from the lack of oxygen, could see what was about to happen. He nodded his head vigorously, urging Park to follow through. The soldier who was strangling the agent shouted a warning to his prostrate companion. With a sudden downwards thrust, Park drove the sharp jagged point of the kimchi knife directly into the jugular vein of the soldier. The reaction was immediate, an initial spurt of blood that covered everything in a one metre radius, followed by the pulsating flow of liquid over the bodies of the combatants. The injured man let go of the giant and writhed around in agony before he quickly passed to another world. Park then used the knife to cut through the rope and free the giant to fight the other soldier unimpeded. It wasn't long before their roles were reversed, and the Korean officer now found himself in a headlock. The giant used his immense strength to subdue his adversary until he fainted from the lack of oxygen. Then the Westerner pulled out a gun, attached a silencer, and shot three bullets into the head of the unconscious soldier. He checked both men for weapons and documentation. He took a photo of their faces, their equipment, and the environment in which they lay. Then he filled the soldiers' pockets with stones and, one by one, dragged them to the river, pushing their bodies under the slow-moving ice. Finally, he turned to Park and said, Good work. Let's go. O M G.
0: Which, as you know, is a polite way of saying, Oh my God. Now, because there's so much action in this particular chapter, I'm going to take you through the key learning points in chronological order. And I'm also going to review the key moments of the drama. We're going to do some pronunciation work. We're also going to discuss some advanced vocabulary. And there are also a number of metaphors, which you might find useful. So let's start at the beginning of the chapter with this sentence here.
1: When the old grey man and his grandson opened the doors to their refrigerated truck, they had no idea in what state of mind they would find their passenger. Somebody's state of mind
0: is their mental or emotional condition at a specific given point in time. It is a temporary psychological disposition. And it's quite a formal expression. So you might hear it in a courtroom. For example, what was the state of mind of the accused at the time of the crime? You might also hear it in politics. For example, is this extremism a new philosophy? Or is it just a state of mind? What is your state of mind at the moment, as you listen to this podcast, in the case of our story, Park's state of mind is surprisingly stable considering what he has just been through.
1: So let's find out what happens next in the story. Have a listen to this. Park looked around at the environment in which he found himself, then he focused on the boy and his grandfather. I'm fine. I'd like to
0: discuss the pronunciation of the word focus. It's an important business word that is commonly mispronounced by non-native English speakers. The challenge here is to pronounce the vowel sounds correctly. The first vowel sound is a long O sound. You get that in words like no and so. So we would say... Focus, not focus. The second vowel sound is almost non existent. It is a vowel sound called the schwa by linguists and language teachers, and the schwa sounds like this. Uh, uh. That's it, just that tiny little noise. And it's one of the most common vowel sounds in English. So we say focus. Focus. Did you hear the vowel sound at the end? The uh, uh, focus. Now it's important to get this word right. Because if you mispronounce it as focus, for example, you say to your international team, you really need to... Focus this quarter. It could be interpreted in the wrong way. Okay, let's go back to our story. So, Park focuses on the little boy and his grandfather, and he tells them he's fine. How does the old man react to this? Let's listen again.
1: Head straight to the river. And await the signal. The old man patted Park on the back and then got back into the cab. Don't forget to send us a postcard, he said in a deadpan voice as he accelerated away to his business rendezvous with the Chinese. There's some interesting
0: vocabulary in this particular section. But let's start off with a common expression. To pat someone on the back. Now you can interpret this literally or metaphorically, it is praise for somebody who has done something impressive. You are congratulating them. For example, if someone has scored a goal in your football team, you might run up to them and literally pat them on the back. Or if your sales team has had a particularly good quarter, you might stand up and make a speech And tell everybody that they have done a wonderful job and they deserve a pat on the back. Another interesting word in this section is deadpan. Don't forget to send us a postcard, he said in a deadpan voice. So what's happening here is the old grey man is basically making a joke. A postcard is what we used to send to our families back home when we were on holiday somewhere exotic. It's normally a pretty picture on one side with some space to write a brief message on the other side. Now, in the era of smartphones, social media and WhatsApp, the postcard industry has suffered significant declines. When was the last time you sent or received a postcard. Well, my mum and dad still do it when they go on holiday, but they are the exception. So the old gray man says, send me a postcard, and he says it in a deadpan voice. What does deadpan mean? Well, here is the dictionary definition. It is the deliberate display of emotional neutrality. It is a form of comedic delivery to contrast with the absurdity of the subject matter. And this is the essence of the British sense of humour. To be ridiculous or absurd in a completely serious and sincere manner. The most extreme example of this would be Monty Python. I also attempt to use this kind of humor in my LinkedIn videos. And the old grey man uses this form of humor at this moment in our story. Right, now let's return to how Park feels as he makes his way down to the river. Here we go. Listen to this again.
1: Park's legs were like jelly. He tripped over a couple of times as he headed to the banks of the river.
0: Here we use the metaphor, his legs were like jelly. So what is jelly? Or jello, as it's called in the United States. Well, it's a soft, sweet dessert. And it's usually brightly coloured. And it's made from sugar, gelatine and various fruit flavors. And the key thing here is that it shakes or wobbles on your plate when it's moved. So if we say that Park's legs were like jelly, we're emphasizing the fact that he is shaking or he is wobbling as he walks. It's a common expression used to emphasize the fact that somebody is, is either very nervous or Or very tired. Your legs might feel like jelly before you get up and give an important speech in front of a large group of people. And you've heard of a jellyfish, right? Well, it's called that because the consistency of the animal appears to be very similar to the consistency of this dessert. So, Park walks down to the river his legs are like jelly, and eventually he falls asleep from exhaustion. What happens next?
1: Park was awoken by the lights of a torch shining in his eyes. Kim Daywan? Park grunted. Do you speak English?
0: To grunt. Have you heard that word before? It's a short, low sound that an animal or a person might make. Let me give you an example. Uh, That's a grunt.
1: Uh, uh, mm.
0: Those are all grunts. It's kind of similar to the noise a pig might make while it's waiting to be fed. And it's the noise the park makes when the special agent wakes him up.
1: Now, why does park grunt? Let's have a listen again. Park was utterly disorientated. He hadn't slept for more than a couple of hours in the previous three days. Park is utterly disorientated.
0: Utterly. It's one of those intensifying adverbs that we discussed in a recent session. It emphasises how disorientated Park is at that specific moment. And synonyms would include completely or absolutely. Absolutely. So what does he do next?
1: Park looked up and into the eyes of the stranger. He had never seen a Westerner in the flesh, nor smelt one.
0: He had never seen a Westerner in the flesh before. Well, you know what a Westerner is. It's a native or inhabitant of the West, especially Western Europe or North America. Now, to see somebody in the flesh means that you are actually physically present with them as opposed to simply seeing them on the television screen or reading about them in the newspaper. More specifically, flesh is the soft tissue of the body, especially the muscle or the fat. So the Westerner then attaches Park to his own body using a strap and a harness and then he attempts to carry Park across the semi-frozen river. Let's have a listen to that sentence again.
1: The Westerner stood at the river's edge and plotted a path across the slow-moving ice. If either of them fell into the water at this time of year, they would perish from hypothermia within the hour. To perish is to die,
0: especially by accident or by being killed or being destroyed. For example, 100 people perished in the earthquake. Now, in business, we use this word to distinguish between perishable goods, such as fruits and vegetables, most kinds of food, which need to be transported quickly and sold before they rot, before they die, and non perishable goods, like furniture, cars, equipment that have a much longer lifespan. Are you in the business of selling perishable goods or non-perishable goods? Or maybe you're in the service industry, which is something completely different. Now, unfortunately for the giant and for Park, they have been tracked by two members of the Special Operations Forces of North Korea. Do you remember a few chapters ago when Park was sitting on the bus, starting to feel paranoid. And then he saw two muscular men sitting in front of him. And he suspected that they were members of the SOF and that they were following him. Well, here they are.
1: And how does the giant respond to their attack There was no doubt in Park's mind that the giant would have been able to withstand the onslaught if he had been free from the harness. But as it was, Park acted as a dead weight, preventing the westerner from properly defending himself.
0: So the giant tries to fight back. He tries to withstand the onslaught. What is an onslaught? Well, you can probably guess. It's just another word for a violent and forceful attack. But the giant has difficulties defending himself because he's still attached to park via the harness and the rope. And as such, park is acting as a deadweight. So what's a deadweight? Well, the origin of the word deadweight comes from international shipping. It is a ship's load, its complete weight including all the cargo, the fuel, the stores, the crew, and the passengers. It is everything that the ship's engines need to propel forwards. So when you describe someone as a deadweight, it means that they cannot move by themselves. They have to be carried by someone or something else. They are essentially a burden, and they make the task more difficult, without necessarily bringing any help or any benefits. And that is exactly the case here. Park is acting as a dead weight.
1: Here's another interesting and relevant metaphor to describe this situation. For two minutes, Park was thrown around like a rag doll as the three men fought each other. As a result of being attached to the giant, Park is
0: thrown around like a rag doll, a ragdoll is simply a soft child's toy. It's normally made from cloth and it is in the shape of a person. So at this point, it seems that both Park and the agent are doomed as the two members of North Korea's Special Operations Forces overpower them. That is, until Park remembers what he has in one of his pockets – Now, if we go back to the episode in the apartment where he discovers that intruders have stolen some of his beloved aftershave, you will remember that he expresses his anger by slashing the air with his kimchi knife before putting it into the pocket of his Russian army coat and heading out for his final date with the girl with the almond eyes. So, At this point, he realises that the only way to save both himself and the agent is to use that kimchi knife. And he does so in a very effective manner, stabbing one of the shoulders in the neck and penetrating his jugular vein.
1: What happens next? The injured man let go of the giant and writhed around in agony before he quickly passed to another world. To writhe around in agony, that's quite a common combination of words.
0: To writhe or to writhe around is to make twisting movements with the body, especially because you are feeling strong emotions or pain, which is exactly what the North Korean soldier does as he passes into another world. Which means the agent is able to free himself, overwhelm the other soldier and continue with his mission to bring the North Korean defector back to the West. A defector who he believes is Kim dae but we know to be Park Jae-bong. And on that note, we come to the end of this part of Park's adventure. Although many dangers still lie ahead for him, but I think that right now, we need to return to the life of Lola Badiola. We need to find out what's happening with the legal action that Tech Spania have taken against her. We need to find out what Pretty Boy is planning to do. And we need to find out what developments there are going to be in the relationship with Mr. Red Bull. So, we hope that you can join us for the next chapter. Until then, continue to bring English into your life. And if you want to improve your advanced level of English in a more formal structure, please join Marino and me for our live and interactive classes. Just search Club Grattan and you will find us. And always remember, if you ever feel in mortal danger, carry a kimchi knife in the pocket your Russian coat.